Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. Right. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. As always, we appreciate your time. I uh, have a special guest today, uh, a friend of mine that I've, I've known for quite some time, has decided that he, he would come in and have a visit. So I'm going to introduce you real quick. His name is Eric Myers. He is a pastor in uh, Troy, Montana. Um, before he was a full-time pastor, I met him in a, in a program where we worked with uh, at-risk youth. I think it's fair to uh, call it that. Um, and so he's got a, a, a whole lot of experiences uh, outside of being a pastor before. Um, but he, you know, as of now, uh, has dedicated the rest of his life to being a man of God, working with the people that are trying to get, uh, you know, their pathway to heaven paved. Eric, you got, you got anything you want to add? Yeah, no, other than thank you very much, Jeremiah, for having me. Uh, I feel like we've both been trying to make this thing happen for a little while, and it's good that it's finally here. Yeah. It's good that it's finally here. Troy to Sandpoint isn't a long trip, and sometimes it's a long trip. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when we were talking uh, about doing this, I mean, first of all, I, I think for me at least, I could sit and talk to you about just about anything. You know, I yeah, mean, we, yeah. we could pick super difficult topics uh, that are going on in social and cultural uh, arenas. We could talk about religion. We could talk about, uh, you know, you name it. I, I feel like we could talk about it. Yeah. We kind of have settled on on just one idea. And, and I like it because, you know, obviously this is primarily a clinical uh, driven podcast, yes. right? I'm trying to help people understand the... Um, the way a clinician might think through different challenging uh, topics within social and cultural arenas. And so what we settled on was the idea of looking at mental health counseling versus pastoral counseling. Not as though it's a competition, but just to talk about some of those nuances between the two topics. <laughs> Synopsis, as a, as a pastoral counselor, what, what is, you know, what, like, what's the framework going on in the background for you? Yeah, real easy. Uh, it's just attached to God or not, right? I can counsel someone spiritually, and I'm very comfortable walking through that person's life uh, with the Lord and where they're at. And as soon as it gets into the realm of more of a therapy need, a clinical need, uh, whether it be a mental health disorder or what have you, as soon as it goes into that area, I don't have any professional training in that area. And so I am quick to tell that person, hey, I really do think that you need to go see a professional in this. Um, and so given that from the found, given that in the very beginning, Jeremiah, what I typically say to someone is, you know, we're going to talk about God all day long and we could pray and talk about the day. Uh, if it's something that I don't feel comfortable with, then do I have your permission to recommend that you go see someone else? Because 
I'm all about the spiritual stuff. I'm all about the, the, the relationship with Jesus. And that's just really how I approach every pastoral counseling session. Okay. So you, I, I'm keying in on, on one of the early pieces that you talked about there. You, I'm hearing you say you start with the spiritual piece that's going on within yeah. a person. Yeah. So when I, when I do clinical work, I often refer to, and, and people who followed my podcast are going to be, they're going to be like, that sounds familiar because they've heard it probably a couple dozen times. I'll bet at this point, the idea of the head, heart, and soul. And for me, when you say, you know, you start with the spiritual and you look for that connection, that, that God connection, you know, that to me says you're starting with the soul, the spirit that is within that person. Yeah. And so would it be fair to say that you're anything, any, when you're talking about the heart and the head, obviously none of them completely disconnect from each other there there, but there are disconnects between them when we're not in line, when we're not tracking correctly in the world. Um, and they distort our view. So I guess my question here is, you know, how do you know where that line is with anybody who comes to see you? That, that is a very good question. Uh, you don't always know where the line is, especially right away, right? You establish a relationship with someone. You might not know where that line is until it's the second or third or even the fourth time or sometimes longer than that and sometimes quicker. Uh, time that you're visiting. And, and what I what I really try to find out right away is where is this person at in their spiritual walk? And that's what I that's my term. Uh, it's a Christian term. And and I, I just try to find out where is this person at in their spiritual walk? Are they are they walking with Jesus and trying to follow the things that Jesus teaches us through his word? Or are they, you know, for lack of a better phrase, excuse me, but nominal Christian, where they might not go to church uh, very often. They might not pray very often. They might not get in the word very often. And then it kind of gives me an idea of, okay, I know this person is, you know, spiritually mature wise at a place. Now I can talk to them from their place that they're at. Prime example, I'm actually helping a guy right now. Um, and, you know, he's been going to our church for a little while and I realize that uh, he's dealing with some stuff that I can't help with. And I, I recognized right away that he was spiritually less mature than some other people that I have seen. Uh, he doesn't quite grasp the concept of having that one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus Christ. In that he doesn't do a lot of praying. He doesn't do a lot of worshiping. He doesn't do a lot of Bible studying. He doesn't put himself out there to learn more. He just kind of says, yep, there's a God and I'm going to your church. And I like you, Eric, because you're a really nice guy. And so we sit and we talk about that stuff. And then I realize, oh, now I have to, you know, fourth, fifth time, hey, so-and-so, I really need to get you out there to, to talk to somebody else who can help you with this depression because this is a clinical type of thing that you're dealing with. It, it seems to me from, you know, my wife is a therapist. I've known you for a long time. I know enough about hearing therapists talk that this is something that's above my echelon of, of, of the ability to help you. I think I need to get you out there. And so that's how it takes off. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So I'm, <clears throat> um, of course, this is what I do. So I'm going to challenge some things a little bit. Sure. Come on. There, there is this mentality that I have heard more than once. And I think other people have probably experienced it. So now that I have access to you, yes, the Bible or God can solve everything. <laughs> right. 
So why would a person ever be referred to a therapist that does, you know, like, I mean, more or less, when you send them to a therapist, you're not always getting a Christian therapist. Right. You might get a secular therapist, but it still might be the right answer per se. Right. Right. So I believe that's true. But we hear this, God can solve everything and the Bible has every answer you need. Right. What do you say to that? Well, it's kind of a two-edged sword for me because I do believe that God can solve everything. I believe that God can solve all mental health disorders. I really truly believe that. And thank God that a few years ago, and I don't remember the exact number, but a few years ago, Christianity finally bought in to the validity of mental health disorders, where in the old days, somebody would come in with depression, and it was a viable clinical depression and a bunch of Christians would get around and place hands on that person and exercise the demons out of that person. And then that person would go away and feel the same way and would still be depressed. And it really, it honestly, it really hurt, in my humbled opinion, it really hurt Christianity. It really hurt the church. It really hurt that person because that person still didn't get the help that that person needed. And so there was just this cycle of ugliness, right, in, in, the, in the clinical and in the pastoral counseling world. And as I said, some years ago, Christianity finally woke up and they said, you know what? This mental health disorder stuff is real. We really need to acknowledge this. I work for an organization that I am proud to say uh, I am I'm ordained with an organization based out of Houston, Texas, Grace International, that recognizes mental health disorders as being real. And they also believe that if Jesus decides to show up and heal someone of anything, as we're praying or as we're not praying, we might be out in the garden working. If he just decides to show up and do it, hey, that's what he does and that's on him. We can't put God in a box. And so that's kind of where we're at with that. No, that's good. Uh, there's there's something that came up for me there. You were talking about this depressed person as an example. Uh, in a situation where the church uh, gathers around and prays over the, the person who is depressed, let's say. And this is just an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, from a clinical vantage point, uh, I could easily surmise that this person walks away going, I was broken. We'll see if God was able to fix me from a situation like that. Um, and I could imagine how terrifying it would be to get to the other side of that, still feeling the same feeling of depressed and going, and not even God could fix it. And I, I, I think about what that, that may have meant for the church uh, at, at different times. Understanding from my vantage point, um, you know, as a therapist that is a Christian, uh, you know, for sure, that that might encourage more brokenness and more uh, giving up. And there's there's a sadness in inside of me for the people that that may have suffered in that that manner, um, and I think there's we we've, we've talked about this before that people in church are not perfect people, so the idea of you know believing that God can do that I think is is good and healthy, but God also uses other people. Amen. Right. And I'm, I'm thinking about that same depressed person. Now, if they got referred to a therapist, maybe they got referred to a secular therapist. That depression, that state of depression that that therapist may heal. 
And it also might be a doorway that God uses to get into the life of that secular therapist. Like, I'm just hypothesizing. Obviously, we never know. 100% agree. I agree. It's just it's one of those interesting nuances that comes up. So what what's up with referrals to counselors um, in, in other churches? Because you, you've got an inside look. I, I heard you talk about your, uh, your, your church and what you do. But not all churches work like that. And I'm, I guarantee some of my audience is out there either going to church or not going to church because of this very thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, Jeremiah, I really do think it has a lot to do with who I'm married to. My wife is also a therapist, as you know, Mm -hmm. has her own practice. And, you know, she walks, you know, she is a, she's the strongest faith filled woman I've ever met. And she walks an appropriate lane when it comes to counseling. And she'll, she'll bring up God when the, when the person that she's visiting with brings up God. And, and so she's always cautioning me and she has to do that less now because I've really just, I've really just kind of taken her belief and made it my own in that when something is amiss, awry, slightly off, it seems like it might not be on, you know, within the pastoral counseling lane that we get out there and we, and we, we, we refer people. But what I think happens to other churches, and I want to make this very clear because I believe in other churches, I believe in other pastors, and I think sometimes being a pastor can create this weird God complex where, and I know, and I'm speaking from experience because early on in my ministry, some similar things would happen with me. I would hear someone say, well, I I have this alcohol abuse problem, and I would say, well, you're, you're an alcoholic. I, I know how to fix that. I can help you. And then realizing a little bit later on in the game that, that the level of alcoholism they were dealing with, is, with was huge. And I was trying to fix that. I think sometimes pastors, they really take things personal when all of a sudden they realize they don't have the ability, the training, the professional schooling to actually help this person. And I think that that's, I think that's huge, man. I think that every pastor, whoever, if there's pastors listening to this podcast, I'm praying that they say, yeah, you know what? Uh, there's something to that. I, I can't help. I can't help everybody. First of all, I want to say, I can't help anybody. God uses me to help people, but God's doing the stuff. And so I think pastors need to get to that place. And they say, it's not me. I can't do this. This is above my echelon. Let's move on. Yeah. So um, it's funny that you went to that spot because my next question for you was if you could say anything to pastors Mm. to help them, uh, because I I do, I believe honestly that, that the clinical therapy and the pastoral therapy should really be married. Yeah, absolutely. It should be. I 100% agree with that. So what would you say? I mean, I, I, I'm hearing, it sounds like that you would say, to the pastors, like, know your limits. Yes. God gave you gifts. Yes. But not necessarily those gifts. I had a mentor years ago tell me, save some wood, get off the cross. And I went, ouch, right? Like, there was only one Savior. I can't save the world. I can't even save one person. It's already been done. All we have to do is believe, and that's what the Bible tells us, right? 
And so when I think of that, I want to tell the pastors, with love, save some wood and get off the cross. We can do a lot. I want to, I want to be very clear, and I want, I want to stress this point. God can do anything through prayer, and we can facilitate that. We can even bring that person to the place where they can meet, have a one-on-one real encounter with God. And there's still a limitation. I'm not a, I'm not a trained therapist. I don't know how to deal with trauma. I don't know how to deal with these things that you yourself have been trained with and my wife and other great therapists. Save some wood and get off the cross. Send those people to another place. Yeah. No, that's good. I, I like that. I, I don't think I've ever heard that one from you. It's brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> Save some wood, get off the cross. You know, you, you were talking about that whole hero mentality in the backdrop of that. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, every, every time that comes up, one of the things and my audience will also recognize this, if there's a hero, that, that's, that's the rescuer, right? If there's a rescuer, then that means somewhere there has to be a victim and then there has to be a persecutor. So if we start playing that victim game, you know, like then, then we end up in our own little cubicle doing the hero thing or our own little cubicle doing the victim thing. And we draw those kinds of things to us. Like the hero always has to have a victim. And in, in, in light of not having a victim, a hero will create a victim. I'm glad you said that. That's absolute truth. Yeah. 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 The victim game begets just more victim game, mm-hmm. right? For sure. What would you say to all of the therapists out there? Because to be honest, it can be a little, you know, as a, as a Christian, there's, there is an intimidation factor. Um, and I'm speaking to, to my own, my own position when it comes to uh, getting a referral directly from a pastor, or I remember the first time I had a pastor come to see me clinically and I'm going, um, like who's the expert in the room right here, right? And the, the idea being not that I'm an expert or they're an expert, but like we, we got to be careful about those perceptions, right? So if you could sit there and explain to any therapist out there, what, what would you want them to know when they get a referral from you? Wow. Solid question. You know, honestly, uh, re- regardless of what I know about that therapist, whether they're a Christian therapist or a secular therapist that doesn't believe in Christianity, whatever, whatever it is, I'm going to tell the therapist, listen, because of my faith, no matter what you run into with this person, please do not discount the will of God or the power of God with whatever you're doing. And even if they don't believe in God, that tells them, I think, Hey, hold on a minute. Um, that means there, there's something, there might be something there that I can't help this person with, or I might be able to take this person so far. You see, Jeremiah, I actually believe that regardless of how talented, how gifted, how knowledgeable any counselor is, whether it be, whether it be a licensed therapist or a pastoral counselor or whatever, I believe that you can only take someone so far. I believe that's true. Um, for lots of reasons. And at the end of the day, don't discount God. Please don't, please don't discount God. And whatever you do, don't, especially if this person's Christian and I'm sending them to you and you're secular and, and you don't have a faith, you're, you're a therapist of without a faith, please don't take away their personal faith. Try your best to speak into that, even if you're not. Because I also believe that that opens up two doors there. As sure. You see, that opens up the door for the therapist to accept Christ as much as it does open up the other person to be able to be healed. 
Yeah. So. Now, you, so you you keyed in on something for me. That one um, is the ethics, and I've done I've done podcasts on the ethics before. Autonomy is the person's right to choose for themselves. Absolutely. And any time that we persuade, right? And as a therapist, if we're trying to persuade them, we have breached our own ethics. Um, obviously, then there's non-maleficence, do no harm. I mean, look, even if you're a secular therapist out there, and I know there, I know a bunch, and and they're good people. Absolutely, like they could be good people. I have yep. no issue with that whatsoever. Absolutely. In the sense of, I'm not passing the judgment. But non-maleficence, which is to do no harm, if you persuade or you, I don't know, it, take away a person's ability to speak about a part of themselves, you have officially risked doing harm. And that's a problem too. So the ethics are definitely a factor. And then the other thing that all therapists, um, and this is something I wish all grasped, but honestly, I've learned not all have grasped the idea of biological, psychological, sociological, cultural, and spiritual. There's five components that we should be investigating out of curiosity as a therapist. Biological, we refer to a doctor because we're not doctors. We know our limits there. Psychological, sociological, and cultural tend to be the wheelhouse of a therapist. That's where we um, spend a lot of time and energy being trained uh, so that when we encounter whatever it is we encounter. However, I've seen a ton of neglect in terms of therapeutic training on the spiritual. And I say that because, uh, and I I haven't actually talked about this um, before uh, right now. My experience in in going to uh, the university was I started out at a state university for a term while I was applying. I just took some courses and I studied, you know, the the, uh, requirements for earning my master's degree at that particular university. And at a state university, they offer one, one three credit or four credit class on religion. Mm. And it was a world religion perspective. It was like... It was, it was so not specific, right? That when you get into, uh, I, if I had gone there instead of where I went, I would have walked away thinking I am not prepared to deal with spirituality at all. So the best thing I can do is avoid it. But that's the wrong thing to do as a therapist in many situations that I've been in. And so I'm grateful that I had Oh, probably no less than five classes that incorporated religion and religions of different types. I had a professor that talked to me um, and, you know, he said, you know, as part of his class, you know, he, he required that we, we attend three services of religions we did not believe. So, you know, I went to a Buddhist temple. That was very interesting. Um, I, uh, I went to a, a, a Mormon baptism very also interesting. Also very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Right. Um, it was it was interesting because I I was thought I thought beforehand that I wasn't going to be allowed to, uh, but there are certain ones that we I, like I wasn't allowed in the room, but I was allowed behind this window, where I could still see it. it was it was very interesting to me and and then you know I also interviewed an atheist as part of that ordeal. Um, 
you know, I mean, it was good. We went to, uh, to study some of the Eastern religions. Um, it, it was really good for me as a person to have that exposure and it didn't sway me. It, in, in terms of like, I was like, huh, that's interesting. I've actually incorporated in my therapy a lot of Buddhist principles because Buddhist principles are not not biblical. That was a weird idea to double there, but I get you. Yeah. Many yeah. of the, the principles there are actually biblical principles. The idea of knowing ourselves, that's that's a pretty biblical concept. That is that's not saying you're not Christian. Great. So let's know ourselves, get some insight. That's right. So those two things popped for me when you were talking about it. I'm, I'm like, oh, those ethics, uh, you know, and, and but here, here's a little fact for you. Therapists in most states are required to take three hours of ethics every single year. And yet this still is an ongoing problem. Three every single year, year after year after year, or they can't maintain their license. And what is that done through? Is that done through an online school? What, how do you do that? It depends. Um, so I, I'm, you know, obviously being a resident of Idaho, uh, Idaho required us to do it in person until uh, 2020. And now we can do them online. We can have the exposure uh, to, to uh, you know, lots of different options. Um, other states are similar. With 2020 being what it was, excuse me, We've switched a lot of things now where we can do it online, uh, but there's two different types of online. There's online recorded, which is not interactive, and then there's online uh, live, which is interactive by nature. You can be part of a chat. You know, you can you can raise your hand for questions on the the little gadgets they put in Zoom and whatever. And so, it, it's different now than it was, but I can't say that it's better yet. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Three hours a year on ethics. Three hours every year. Now, in my heart, and this is just my opinion, brother, I feel like that's not enough. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like there needs to be three hours of ethics a week, three hours for everybody, because I really do believe, totally going down a rabbit trail from what we're talking that's about, good. but I really do believe that part of the problem with the world today, and especially America, this great country that you and I both served, uh, deals with ethical issues at a constant mm-hmm. because we forgot our ethics. Many of us have, yeah. you know, so three yeah. hours a year seems a little on the shallow end for me. Well, ideally it's, it's on the heels of in, in graduate school, you take a full semester or term, whatever, if you're in a trimester program or semester program. So you take a whole semester of foundational um, material, right? So you get in, in, you're studying the different ethics, you're going through different, uh, ethical quandaries, you know, you're, you're role playing constantly. And then you go through your internship where you weekly do a check-in and you address ethical issues every single week. It's a requirement. And then post-graduation as part of your supervision, you also are supposed to be doing ethical review every single time you meet with your supervisor. It's part of the requirement. So yes, I agree. It's sometimes insufficient because I don't know how it happens, but I've seen therapists get through all of that content and still not understand ethics. Uh, I'm not sure how that happens, to be honest, because for me, 
there was no way I was going to get through it and not understand the concepts of ethics, which is part of the reason I talk about them on my podcast is because I want people to understand there's, there's things that guide us when things are, are challenging. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll switch it up on you here a tiny bit. Though. Let, me, let me jump in real quick yeah, and just say one thing about that. Cause this is really important. You would be shocked at the similarities though of the pastors that I encounter in my life that also don't have ethics. And you think, whoa, where were you in seminary school? Or where were you in whatever? So it's it's there too on both sides for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit. If you're okay with it, we'll talk a Come little on. bit more about ethics because it's a good topic. And, and I think that there's a fair amount of overlap. Uh, you know, in, ter- in terms of the, the therapeutic side, uh, I'm thinking about the ACA. Uh, the ACA is, uh, and by the way, this this might get me in a little bit of trouble out there, but it's okay. I I, I dive in the deep end all the time. I love that about you. <laughs> the good. The American Counseling Association has been pushing this agenda of affirmation, and I'm wondering what your experience is in the church when it comes to affirming your your people, because I know what it is for a therapist. Yeah, I, you know this is this is tough. Uh, you and I had a private conversation where we just like to come up, walk along that edge because we believe God's called us to that edge, right? When we talk about affirmation, um, I'm concerned with affirming one thing in the people that come to Troy Christian Fellowship, and that is their faith in God. That's it. Um, anything else, if it's not related, their faith in God and everything related to that. If it's not related to that, uh, to be honest with you, it, it probably isn't going to be a, a, a long conversation. If they're looking at some other form of affirmation for any reason, anywhere, um, I just tell them I'm not, probably not the guy to talk to. Uh, I'm interested in your spiritual. We have a saying at church, uh, at Troy Christian Fellowship, I am concerned with your spiritual growth, not the numerical growth of this church. And God has blessed the numerical growth of the church because of the spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. So that's it, man. I'm going to affirm your faith with God and everything related to that. And that's it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, uh, with, with the ACA, they've, they've really taken this stance that the therapists are required to affirm. And I've actually done a podcast on that exact topic already where I've more or less said, you know, as a therapist, I can't affirm everything. There's just no way if a person comes in and says, I'm depressed. And during the process, I find out that they have trauma. I can't affirm the depression. I need to treat the trauma. That's right. Right. So, so to naively go off of somebody's self-diagnosis, you wouldn't go to a doctor and say, I have uh, cancer of the liver. That's right. And assume that they're going to go, Oh, okay, well, we'll treat you for cancer of the, no, we need to verify. We need to challenge. We need to, we need to put you through this gauntlet of, of stuff so that we know what's actually going on. And then if you're right, I'll definitely affirm. And you know, what's funny about that. So from my perspective and what I do, the pastoral counseling side of that, they come in with this, these lit, they, they say that the, the surface thing is my relationship with Jesus is struggling. And then I learned that they have this, this list, this lengthy list of things they're going through that I'm not, 
I'm not trained to help them with. And so I go, well, hold on. You need to go back to a therapist, talk with them about this stuff, and then come talk to me about your relationship with Jesus Christ because I'm in way over my head here, man. Yeah. Now, that's one of the, one of my favorite things about knowing you uh, for the number of years that we've known each other. You have, in my opinion, you have a proper Christian humility and and that is, uh, it's not something we always see when we're looking at churches. It's very easy to, I mean, even as a therapist, I, I've been in positions where I'm like, no, I know what's going on here. And I've been wrong. Um, so, you know, having that proper humility is, I, I think, one of the, the strongest attributes, I think, that you bring to the table uh, for, for, for things like this, because, you know, if you got confronted with something, you would, you would take a genuine look at it and go, Hmm, yeah, let me, let me think about that. And if it doesn't fit, you're going to come back and say, yeah, no, that doesn't fit. If yeah. it does fit, you're going to come back and say, wow, that was interesting. I'm glad you brought that to my attention. Yeah. Thank you. I so, really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. You know, we went down this this funny little rabbit hole, and we we always do. I could literally sit here and talk to you for you know hours on end. Um, it's it's one of the one of those very easy conversations for me to have. Is there anything else that you want to say to the audience before we wrap this up? Oh my gosh, no. I, I mean, yes, yes, and no. There's so much I can say, right? I mean, we look at America and we want to make America great again, and I'm not. That's not a Trump plug. Um, I don't, don't even want to get political on here, uh, but I, but I want to say really with my heart, man, I, I believe with all my heart that there's this, there's this scripture verse, second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14, where it says, if my people, right, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from them. I will heal their land, Right. And I will forgive their sins. And you go, oh, well, there's this, there's these things that we have to do as a country. We have to humble ourselves. We have to turn back to God. And, and we have to stop messing around. We have to stop. We have to turn away from our wicked ways. And we have to pray. We have to do those things. And if there's a plea for any pastor, regardless of denomination, I really truly believe most pastors that I speak with, and I, I get to know a lot of pastors who are not non-denominational Christian pastors. That's my plea. I think that's the heart of every pastor. I think that's the heart or should be the heart of every pastor. And it should be the heart of every church in order for us to become a great country. We have to go back to what is important to this country. And I could speak all day on that, but God, man, listen, you know, one of the things that brought us together was our relationship with God. And because we have that relationship, uh, you know, nothing can come between us. Right. Um, the Bible says, if, if God is for you, who can be against you? Right. And so I think with you and I, this has been a pleasure. It's about time. It happened. <laughs> I was trying to get over here. It's just, you know, Sandpoint is a whole hour away from Troy. <laughs> Lord, that's a long time to travel in this travel in this part of the country. Um, but it's been good. It's been real. I appreciate your honesty and your integrity and your realness. You're able, you, you have this ability to be real and not worry about uh, much other than being true to yourself and true, being true to God, being true to your family. And that's refreshing. I think it needs to be that way uh, in every professional realm, whether it be a therapist, a doctor, a police officer, a pastor, it doesn't matter. I think that those, those traits need to be seen everywhere we go, man. 
So thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, of course. It was, it's, it's obviously my pleasure to have you here. Uh, you are welcome back anytime. Sweet. Hey, to my audience out there, uh, thank you for giving us your time. Uh, as always, we hope that you've gotten some, some good pieces out of this, and this helps you have more dialogue, uh, more appropriate and healthy dialogue, and more perspective on, on different parts of the world and things that are going on. Thank you for joining us, and have a great day. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a look at our website at www.healthyperspectives with a dash in between the healthy and the perspectives. Make sure there's an S at the end.com. So again, www.healthy-perspectives with an S.com. 